And away we go. Welcome into the Dish, a fantasy baseball strategy podcast. I'm your host, Dan Strafford. Stepping up to the Dish today is the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Rudy Gamble from Razball.com. This is a take number two. Rudy and I did talk about uh, six weeks ago now uh, where some technical issues uh, did uh, keep us from finishing the recording. But Rudy, some things have changed since then (laughs) in what we originally were going to talk about. Yeah, strategy right. though. Strategy, strategy is exactly. time, mostly time. It is mostly, or at least season. Like gone with the wind. Uh, but uh, let's talk here about fantasy baseball strategy. Question: You had a great joke the first time through. I'm not going to ask you to remember it, but been asking everybody. I don't. Well, I, I made the comment I of I, I'm asking everybody uh, your favorite format, and you made the joke of why are you asking everybody what my favorite format is, but. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like me. Uh, Fantasy baseball draft format and uh, scoring format. What are your faves? Yeah, I'm I'm 15-team mixed roto uh, snake draft with weekly fab. Um, I started kind of with like more 12-team weekly. I was never a huge fan of ALNL only. So, um, but the 12-team daily... Uh, while it's still kind of the heart of Razzball, yeah, I don't have the time and the the uh, energy right. for it. To, you know, once I knew, because I know how what it takes to play it well, and I just don't want to commit that time. Um, so I'm more weekly. I'm a weekly player. Um, I am playing my first OC, uh, which is a 12-team format on FBC. I'm doing my first one this year with a co-manager and trying to see how it goes. My biggest... Um, the reason I focus on 15 team is that I think playing one format um, really scales well for fab. There's certain guys that you look for in across right. all. Once you go into 12 team, there's got it's the the thing of well, there's guys going to be available in 12 team that you don't even think about 15 team. And then there's also the guys that you get excited about for 15 team, and then it's like yeah, you're the only one bidding on them in 12 team. I'm yeah, you know, so I'm curious. Um, but I already have a, I have a good process for 15 team carrying it over, but ideally, uh, one where I could have a kind of a co-manager who's more of a 12 team mindset. So I think there's a, yeah, you don't want to stretch yourself too. Thin. Yeah. I, I think uh, we've talked about this several times with different, uh, analysts here on the dish is knowing what your limits are, right? Knowing where you can hit to and it's good for yourself, but it's also good for the leagues you're in, right? When you when you stretch yourself too thin, uh, you know, good buddy of mine, who I, I'm pretty sure you know, Joe Pizapia, uh, Joe backed out yeah. of tout this year because he just didn't have the time to dedicate to it and felt as though he was, you know, hurting other people in the league, right? If you're not doing fab, if you're not doing the things that make it a competitive league, yeah. uh, it's important. And then obviously you're talking about stuff like NFBC, you're investing your money. You're, you know, you're putting time and money into it so you want to make sure you have right. the time and the, the efficiency to really get it done. I think you make a great point about, uh, you know, the, sort of the Matt Mannings of the world. That's the name that's stuck with me all, all spring of the sort of 400-plus ADP guy, um, whereas you're in a 12-team t- league. Matt Manning yeah. should not exist in your world in that league. Uh, but when you draft in a 15-team or you're talking about a you know, dynasty league, it can get muddled pretty right. fast where you're trying to do fab and you're trying to find the, you know, the hidden gems. And to your point, you're bidding you know, 20 fab bucks on Matt Manning when it's a 12 team league and no one else was going anywhere near him. It can get pretty, pretty yeah. darn dicey. Um, I will say Razball uh, is a site that you have written, have been a part of for as long as I've known you, which has been, I feel like eight to 10 years now. I, I don't know if that's accurate or not. Uh, yourself, Gray, or sort of the... If it, if it, it feels it feels right, I mean, we don't Right, need, we don't have to put years on, on no, relationships, but... Yeah. You... you Let's not put labels right. on it Understood. Either, you know, we were on a break, yeah. but it's fine. Uh, you yeah. you and Gray out there in the sort of Twitterverse are synonymous with Razball. You have some other great writers there, but it is a content site that goes deep on many different topics. If someone is not aware of Razball or hasn't come across your projections, your your systems, your different articles, what could someone uh, expect if they were to subscribe to your services? Yeah, I mean, Razball is kind of two things in one, and a lot of people only kind of connect with one of the two. Um, so, I mean, it started and still it's hard, a content site uh, written for, you know, the, the dedicated... Um, 
kind of serious, not serious, the, uh, the type of fantasy person that really enjoys it, wants to win, um, and kind of likes to joke around yep. with it. You know, like, cause we, we, we dig, you dig so deep into fantasy baseball. Um, there's so many references. There's so many things that you can't share with your non-fantasy baseball friends. And it extends to football and basketball. But think like, per Facebook, we, we spend so much time on it. It's so rich. There's like so few people in your life like that you've run into that you could talk about it. So this is kind of like that form of like, so I consider like some of our writers to be like that friend that you talk, that you like joking around with at the bar, who's in your league um, and generally beats you. <laughs> um, so... That's and and the site's set up for um, kind of all um, degrees in terms of like you could play ten team mixed, you could play like you know NFBC. It doesn't matter. We're not, um, and it is, and it and it kind of thinks of a daily mentality. And I think yeah, it's helped for Gray and I and for some of the other writers. We do well in weekly because we're starting from a daily. Right. It's very you know so we're we're kind of wired in. Um, the second part. Um, is the tools, and I run the tools part. Um, I only I write the a lot of Gray's titles, uh, so I'm good with a pun, but not with volume. Um, so I could write, I could slip a few jokes in during the season. Um, so the season long tools that are, that are up there are designed to help smarter, quicker in season daily and weekly decisions. Uh, things like free agents, who to start, sit. Um, they're also designed for all skill levels. Uh, we have everyone from like people who play with their friends in a you know ten team Yahoo league to uh, people who play NFBC main event subscribe to them. Um, but it, it's kind of like your co-pilot. You know when we um, there's things like uh, yeah you're getting the next seven days are projected out for all players with a dollar value, so you can kind of quickly identify players. Um, all the projections are are there. Um, and I, you know, the way I see it is that everyone in their draft process has like a, some guidance, whether it be a baseball forecaster, someone else's rankings, all these things is kind of a second opinion on draft day. You're the driver. You need, it helps having that second opinion. Um, but you shouldn't stop at draft day. And these are kind of set up to help, uh, particularly with those weekly fab daily decisions, um, and kind of g- let you make those decisions smarter. And you also have, uh, not to sell the, the site short, you're also dealing with uh, Daily Fantasy uh, on a fairly regular basis, Yes. Right? Yep. So it, we have DFS in there, too, and you can get, you know, you can get um, both. Yeah, the DFS package comes with all the season-long stuff. Um, so, yeah, no, we, we kind of cater both, and... Yeah, there, there's a lot that goes into the projections. We partner, or I partner with Steamer and work with them on rates, and I kind of specialize in things like uh, playing time and how you create kind of daily projections. But they're updating constantly, um, and that carries over to preseason. Um, you know, so we have preseason projections. If you subscribe to the tools in the preseason, you get access to my draft room. Um, but everything kind of comes under this thing of like, how do how do you just how to make each person a better player and just kind of add a little more thought to all your transactions. Makes a ton of sense to me. And I'll say uh, some of the better articles I've read over the years have come from Razball because I think one, you, I think the whole lot of you do not take yourselves too seriously, which is always appreciated from me um, while also trying to teach. I think we have a lot of content in the world that sort of, Hey, pick up this guy. Pick up this, these three and, and go. I think Razball over the years has done a great job of here's why. You know, here's, here's the why behind things. Here's my thinking and something I want to get to you uh, to talk to you about a little bit of your process, the way you look at drafts, the way you apply it. But I wanted to sort of get a, you know, to use a corporate term, 30,000-foot view. Um, we just went through Tout Wars weekend, right? It was remote. Yep. We had to deal with um, COVID, hopefully, for the last time. Uh, this year, people will be back together in New York. Uh, next year, there's Vegas coming up for NFBC. Uh, and you also have things like Labor. Um, and you have, uh, obviously, Razball has uh, the Raz Slam that you all do every year. Some are, quote-unquote, expert leagues. Some are analyst leagues. Some are league of leagues amongst players and analysts. 
As you think through winning Tout a few years back, playing in labor with Steve Gardner, what do you think the average player or the typical fantasy player should be taking from these industry league drafts or should be trying to pull together from watching on a live stream or listening on Sirius to a, a Tout draft? Yeah, no, it's um, no, it's interesting. I mean, I think there's a little bit of an undercurrent of negativity sometimes around industry league, not from those right. in them, but obviously from outside. Oh, I'm pretty um, negative too. Yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I mean, there's, I mean, obviously from a high stakes, right. high stakes players question the expertise. Um, you know, other if analysts aren't in the league, you know, they're gonna they don't have a chair at the table. Of course, you're gonna kind of question it. Um, and, and that would be the everyday player might look at it and be like, oh, those decisions were awful. How could, why are you in there? And I totally get all that stuff. Um, I guess my perspective is that there's two good things you're getting out of it. Um, it does, it's a public league. It's basically free to basically, uh, talk about the whole draft. I don't think it's cool to be, if I'm in like a high stakes draft, I'm not, showing you that board. Right. Um, so I could take my labor draft, my talent draft, provide it to everyone and, and give an idea of why I did things, the things I did. And, um, and with potentially even critiquing some of the, the moves made within the draft. So it's kind of like a classroom I could use it as. Um, so that's one thing. Um, not every analyst uses it to that way. That that, but to me, that's that's one thing I love about the analyst leagues. And the other is it provides visibility and accountability to how well someone plays. Um, no other journalist or talking head in any, you know, has to have that type of accountability. No one looks back and be like, "Oh my God, this political analyst is an idiot." They were always wrong. I mean, and even when you do, there's still no accountability right. for it, right? I mean, you could put together those videos. So it's like, but in this one, you, you do have a good sense for like, and you could decide whether you want, you know, like whether you think, whose advice you take. Um, so I think that's pretty refreshing to have um, and unique for fantasy. And if you look at it through that lens, yeah. I mean, I think I feel like Tout Wars uh, specifically has kind of created new leagues and given out more uh, more openings. Yep. Um, so I'm all for that. I think TGFBI is a uh, by Justin Mason was really and others that kind of helped him um, was really great to give more exposure for for analysts and stuff. Um, yeah. So for me, I just I like using it to expound on draft strategy um, and kind of help kind of preload a lot of my thinking on the year um, so that by the time like this week, you know, next weekend comes along or this coming weekend when I go to Vegas for the main event, you know, I've, I've really thought through everything and, and shared what I can share with our readers. And what I uh, plug for, for Razlam is uh, based off of the cut line uh, best ball format. Yeah. So you yourselves, uh, I'm going to say these two words together, donkey teeth, um, uh, yep. doing the the sort of heavy lifting of, of setting those leagues up too. I will give Tout the ultimate credit for expanding. It could have been very easily for Tout to say, nope, we are AL, AL only, NL only, we're mixed, we're not going to touch you know, yeah. uh, draft and hold, we're not going to touch any of these head, head, to head points, head. any of those things. Uh, but they've evolved, and that's important as we all sort of see fantasy baseball evolve. Daily fantasy comes along. Uh, we do the you know DFS uh, tout wars aspect of it, which is a lot of fun. Uh, so credit to them for evolving and moving. And you mentioned Justin uh, and the like. You have done a lot of heavy lifting. To your point, uh, I'm making that point, but to what you said about dissecting your own drafts, right? Of going back and saying these are the decisions I made. This is why. This is how I got to this conclusion. But you really go in with a plan more so than I've seen from a lot of drafters or owners or whatever phrase we want to use of really understanding draft plus in season as one aspect of one thing. How am I going to draft is how I'm going to inform what I'm doing during the season. What is it about breaking it down and looking? Let's start with uh, hit pitch mix, right? The idea of percentages okay. of how many pitchers you're taking, how many hitters you're taking. Um, one, could you explain that thought process 
uh, and what you've seen over the years, maybe an evolution of that due to changing uh, pitching styles and management styles. But maybe explain for me hit pitch mix in a draft and how then that shakes out into your overall roster uh, management. Yeah. So, um, you know, so for a hitter pitcher split, that's something that you consider um, that people in auction drafts tend to consider. They tend to create an explicit budget. This is how much on hitters, this is how much on pitchers. Um, I want to say historically, it was like 67, two thirds, yep. one third. Historically, it's changed a bit. Um, you know, for me, that's one prism. You know, I, I like to go into the draft and say, what, you know, look at a draft through those splits. Um, less worried about tactics like, should I draft a pitcher in the first round or wh where do I draft them? The key is, how much do you want to invest? Um, and then the, the the draft and the ADP and my values kind of help guide me where I want to draft. Um, you know, so I think just that, that larger planning and then breaking it down is really helpful. I don't think it's very, um, uh, you know, I've evolved past this kind of thinking that my values are gold uh -huh. and that I'm just going to take what the room get gives me. Uh, I might plan for some uh, plan in some cases, you know, or, or kind of open it up and think there's like kind of free picks and take advantage if if the draft goes a certain way. But I do think kind of planning ahead is is kind of this better approach. Um, you know, so for some, you know, where I'm at now, um, you know, I kind of see like league averages of something like 62% on hitters, 30% on on um, starting pitchers, 8% on relievers. So, you know, let's use that as that, this general thinking, um, that's going to drive kind of how I create my dollar values, um, the player raters that are on the site. Um, but, and um, yeah, th there, there's definitely been a shift a little more towards starting pitchers. Um, you, yeah, 60, going from 67% to 62% on hitters. Um, and, you know, we'll probably delve on it a little bit later, but yeah, part of my thinking is, okay, given this, how everyone's going to behave, what do I want? Right. What fits with the way I play in season? And kind of, I feel really confident in fab. My goal is strictly like, I want to stay close to even because I just want to take the best, most valuable player on fab every week. Um, so if I overinvest in a position, well, then there's no reason right. for me to be gra grabbing that in fab. So, um, I, I tend to go more even. I'm a, and now if people, there's certain people that have preferences toward heavy hitter, some toward more pitcher. To me, as long as you've planned ahead, and so let's just say someone went heavy hitter. Okay, you better understand the um, back half of the draft for pitchers better than the average player because you're going to be, you know, relying on that. Um, and the vice versa, if you're heavy on pitchers, you're really understanding the deeper hitter pool. Uh, that should align with your skill set. <laughs> um, but in, in the end, it that's the thinking of the planning. If When I read about people like, oh, yeah, I wasn't really planning, but the room kind of went and I ended up going heavy on pitching. It's like, well, that seems like a flaw by you. Like you either don't have the discipline or the foresight or you didn't do the research to plan ahead. And then, you know, there's nothing worse than feeling yeah. lost during a draft. Um, and feeling kind of off the rails. And a lot of, you know, what I try to teach and what I kind of build into the draft rooms is is avoiding that. That that if you plan a little bit ahead of time, you have the right tools, um, that you don't have that kind of, oh no, now I'm chasing speed and I didn't prepare for this. Um, so that's, that's kind of my goal with drafts. And yeah. We're going to get into sort of, uh, in-season management. You already started touching on how, how you're going about that. Uh, but I will maybe hammer down on the point you just made is you never want to be in a draft and be like, Oh crap, I have to draft a second baseman. <laughs> like, you never want that moment where you're, you're, you're just, yeah. you've, you've let the room dictate what you're doing rather than uh, right. analogies poker analogies are, are pretty ripe in in fantasy sports but you don't want to let the the table push you around in poker you want to play your game uh, you don't necessarily want to go into 
It's or yeah. college basketball. You know, you don't want to if you're a, a zone team, you don't want to get out and run with the Kentuckys of the world. So you want to play your game right. in in your draft lobby in your draft room and make sure you're prepared to pivot if you deem that being what you need to do. And when you pivot, to have a plan there as well. Uh, no two draft rooms are the same. Uh, you mentioned playing in the the NFBC main. That's going to be a head trip for anyone in that room to have all those different strategies, all those different sharks out there who are trying to, you know, compete for the top prize. Uh, I'm sure you have a couple of different strategies you're ready to employ depending on how some things break in the first round, in the fifth round. And the thing I'll say in the transitioning here, everyone likes to say, "Oh, I'll find, I'll find pitchers, I'll stream pitchers. It's fine. I'll find them. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll find them in Fab." If everyone's doing that, Rudy, then then you're right. gonna run into overspending. You're gonna come into falling short. You're gonna run into all sorts of ERA and WHIP issues because right. you have to employ a, a two-star pitcher with a six-something ERA. So how do you manage that from draft style to in-season style and and try to coach up other people to really understand how important that is? Well, I mean, one thing I think that's key for an analyst is, you know, are you going to have like a one size fits all approach? Are you kind of, this is my brand. I do this. Or are you kind of more, um, more of a true consultant that says, okay, what are your preferences? What, what are your strengths? Let's work around it. And I'd say I'm the the latter. Um, so yeah, the, the acronym I coined for my thing is Darwinism, uh, which was, it stands for drafting a roster which integrates needs of in-season management. And it's kind of starting from it, your in-season strengths through to like the back end of drafts and just saying, okay, um, what what are you strong at? And then let's build the draft right. to, you know, you're investing more in your weaknesses. Like, you know, that you feel like, oh, so I get it. If people are like, I hate, I can't find closers in-season. So I'm going to spend more in the draft. That's a great example of that's smart. I don't feel right. that way. I feel comfortable, or I don't, not that I feel comfortable. I just would rather not spend that uh, premiums on saves um, because, yeah, they're the one thing I feel like I know they're in fab. And I just, I, I, I'll, I'll, and I'll take shots every week until I get there um, if I don't hit it on a draft. Um, so, but, open for, for opposites. I do find that certain people definitely have their preferences. I will, I'll say preference over bias. Okay. Um, but yeah, they have their preferences. And the reality is if it's the type of person that says, I never draft a starting pitcher in the first two rounds, they've had years of practice finding mid round guys. So they're probably better off sticking with what that, that strategy versus like trying, you know, they should try other things, but, Worst case, yeah, they're they're at least playing to to their strengths over time. Um, you know, again, yeah, for me, my feeling is I feel comfortable um, getting anything in Fab um, based on what the market allows. So if I if there was anything now, I'd say like, ooh, that is tough for Fab. It would be starting yeah. pitching in like fifteen team in ten and twelve teams. There were years I would draft three pitchers. I'd draft three starters and just stream the rest. Um, but those three would be great because. Of th- but I was so I was basically saying I'm good enough at streaming that even a mo- even like the thirtieth starter is kind of useless for me to draft at his ADP. I'll draft three like top twenty guys and that's it. Um, in fifteen team, yeah, I think um, there's not a lot there. You still, there's still guys, but it's definitely on the lower end. Um, I think hitters and relief pitchers are a little, little uh, deeper, and that guides my strategy for you know the quantity of guys I'm going to take in particular. The last question about the articles you write, breaking down labor or tout, and or, or how you break down any of your drafts uh, and in-season management. You talk uh, in your 2021 article around ADP versus, you know, getting your guys, quote unquote, right? Going out mm-hmm. and getting the, the ones you know. This obviously applies more to snake drafts than to auctions because you may have to go beyond ADP or beyond projection to get your guys in, in right. a snake draft. But how reliable or, or how useful do you find ADP across 
the drafts you're in? Uh, is it a tool to measure against or is it simply historical data? And uh, how often do you find yourself exceeding ADP or jumping ADP to get your quote unquote guys? Yeah, I mean, for the leagues I do, the analyst leagues and NFBC, I do find NFBC ADP is useful. Um, I try to limit the range uh, to as recently sure. as possible to account for uh, changes. I think if you play on on a platform like ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, their ADP is probably the best indicator because it's going to lead to ish, lead to uh, cases within the the draft room. Um, so yeah, I do find ADP actually quite helpful. It helps me with my planning. Um, helps me kind of rule out guys who the market likes more. And then me, so I'm never going to be it. in a position where I'm going to draft a guy. Um, and then helps me kind of do things like identify the pockets of value at various mm-hmm. positions. I think, um, you know, so you kind of have these kind of structures of, okay, the fifth round is A or B or C player. And if they're in the same position, that makes things real easy. Um, not a must, but nice. Um, and then... Um, yeah, so I'm always kind of looking for kind of thinking like of a draft as like it's not unlimited permutations. Like it ends up being, you know, like, okay, well, it you know, there, there's a few paths within right. there, um, but there's like this underlying of a very strong and uh, structure um, that's only as fluid as it needs to be. You know, like, so to say like, like, so it could be something like I want, and I think I wrote it in this year's article, like I wanted six or seven starters in the first 16 rounds. And it's like, and yeah, there were certain rounds where it was like, I was kind of open and, but it was just kind of thinking like, okay, those are a couple of the things I'm looking for. And in order to do that, I'm willing in that one, you know, not to draft a reliever in the first 14 right. rounds, I think in that draft. Um, but yeah, no, I think ADP is useful. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I feel like going into a draft where, you know, you have that get your guys mentality, you're kind of always in fear. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's another emotion that's not very productive during a draft, <laughs> no. right? So, I mean, it goes with obviously fear that I don't even know who I'm going to take. All my guys are taken. Um, so how do you, you know, so part of staying in control on that thing is like, okay, well, these are my targets. I've written them down. If they're not, if they're there, if they're on the board, maybe on this round, I'm taking them. If not, right. fine. Um, that, you know, and, and it's tough at certain positions or certain categories not to, to, to build a plan that's not dependent on one guy being there in the seventh round. But it's, um, I think the DFS term for it is anti-fragile. Yes. Um, and, yeah, I mean, so with all the kind of fragility around you, how are you going to build something that that isn't? Um, and and, I, and I, I'm misusing the terms. I yes. know what, well, we don't want to get hate the, mail. The, the, yes, but yes, I understand your. Yeah, context. I know I'm missing, but let's but let's just say the the fragility yep. of certain drafts. So that's how I would critique things, and how I you know someone came to me with a draft strategy, how I'd look at it and be like. You know, and you could you could see kind of post draft sometimes. Oh, that one player is gone, and then yeah, all of a sudden you're real low on speed. Or um, we'll, we'll talk about that one to, guy and, in a little bit. But uh, we, we can. Uh, there's never just one fair, guy. But yeah, very but fair. That, that's right. Uh, I do find what, what I, I agree with what you said, and I, I over the years this is a very simplistic answer, but I that's why I've enjoyed tiering so much, like tiering out players and tiering out positions. So that, yes, I have yeah. a guy who I might want in round seven, to your point, but I know who similar Sorry. players are, or at least players I'm yeah. valuing, valuing similarly to get to, or to the point at the seventh round is a position similarly valued that I can pivot to and, and continue to build. Um, and all this is about preparation. And yes, fantasy baseball drafts are fun. Yeah. You can walk in with your magazine that you've never opened before, flip it open and start drafting by all means. And th- this isn't meant to say otherwise, but talking about the NFBCs, talking about winning your leagues, talking about setting up for success, uh, this isn't too dissimilar from learning, right? Like uh, building a foundation for your knowledge. Yeah. 
you know, uh, space repetition, starting to understand over time the different things you need to know, building a plan, building a, a strategy, and then attacking it and attacking that strategy and having the, the strategy and the know-how to pivot when, when necessary. Um, off of strategy uh, writ large sort of for fantasy baseball and thinking 2022, the big storyline before the labor agreement seem to be closers and the question marks around closers, right? We had all of these question marks of where Kenley Jansen would end up. Will uh, Craig Kimbrell be traded? We'll still wait on that one. But how is this all going to shake out? We saw Hader and Hendricks rocket up draft boards. We're still seeing Hader and Hendricks up at the top of draft boards. We know there is some comfort there. There's some uh, known quantity of 20 to 30 saves. I'm being somewhat... Uh, cautious there 20 to 30 saves strikeout numbers era whip that are, are tolerable what's been your approach in 2022 to the closer market you gave us a little preview earlier um but what's been your overall yeah. relief pitcher approach if you've had one had one across all your drafts? yeah no i mean going into this season it's typically been um like in the 15 team like kind of sixth and seventh round um there's a, there's a certain run and there's usually a couple guys that I like. Uh, last year is Ryan mm-hmm. Presley. Um, and, you know, I've always kind of gone into my save projections being rather um, conservative on particular, on questionable mm-hmm. closers, even if, the, if they're penciled in, if they're not very good. Um, so I've created certain kind of striations that it's not like everyone gets 25 saves. And then the question is, then you've, there's no reason to go early. Um, I do think what we're seeing now, so yeah, I tweeted it out. So my prediction for this year is that basically I feel like relievers and I think catchers, but I might be wrong on it now. Uh, but Sal Perez, I guess, would be the, at least Sal Perez. Um, but And I'd say Will Smith. So let's say those two catchers plus um, top end relievers, they've, they've moved up draft boards higher than they've been in past years. And I feel part of it is driven by the fact that they did, that things broke well for those picks last year. Like 90th percentile. Well, I mean, I mean, Hendricks getting eight wins with his 35 saves or something. Uh, Sal Perez, you know, off the board on everything. Like, so um, I do think it's a little bit of recency bias driving that. Um, I also think it's, there's, it's driven by fear. So when I'm seeing, I mean, I was in, a, I'm in a DC and Hader and um, Hendricks win the second yes. round. Um, so I mean, that's that's certainly not a possibility happening during the draft. So um, I, while I do think there's a bigger gap than ever before in top tier closers versus the middle and the bottom, um, and it's true that you might be taking, you know, there's like certain rounds, like let's say like the 15th round, you know, probably half those guys are going to be right. useless. It's, it's, it's really a coin flip pick. Um, you know, but, um, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'd go back to that structure of like, so how do you come up with a reasonable approach and say like, okay, well, I think relievers should be 8% of my budget. So that's to say, I want to be about even, and I can, you know, maybe I go with, uh, you know, the equivalent of like a fancy meal and McDonald's, or I go with like two mid-priced meals, Um, you know, but you could come up with only a few permutations there. Mine tends to be like, you know, maybe one I invest in and then a whole bunch of Sprite and Prey. Um, But, you know, so like when you go second round, you can't come back from that. You, you're, you've basically said, I might, I might be investing 14%, 12%. That's going to come from somewhere. Um, you know, if you go to high end relievers, you're get you're going even higher there. Um, so for me, it's kind of easy. Like that's just not the way I want to distribute yep. my money, um, or my draft capital. I guess would be better stated. Um, you know, I don't know. I and yeah, that I think um, you know I might spend a little more time in understanding as much as one could who's gonna who what closers. I think are going to have value, um, you know, after that, let's say at least the first 10 rounds. Um, 
because that's where I'm trying to, you know, build my batting and starting pitching right. base. Um, Again, that foundation and, that you're building off of to take maybe a risk later on or take, you know, a yeah. little deviation. I'm going to talk through something right now, Rudy. You are, are, are smarter than me in fantasy baseball, so I'm going to bounce this off of you and you, you uh, approve or disprove of it as we're, we're talking live here. Has anyone ever mm-hmm. done a study or, or the mathematics around expected roto uh, category numbers per round? Like what, what you are trying to get per round in value. You're talking about your value there, right? Your 10 rounds. There's, right. There's, I mean, it, it's it's an area that I think people have. There's that pe- people for tracking that kind of thing come up with their own methods. For me, I don't find it very okay. productive. Like, so for me, I, I'm, I'm starting from, I have like dollar values right. for the category. So, so it puts them all on the same scale. Um, and I don't want to look at 12 and eight stolen bases during the draft. That That's just all um, too much thinking, too much dissonance. So I've got my dollar values um, and I'm tracking what um, I have uh, draft goals, but I'm also tracking what what's expected from ADP okay. uh, throughout a draft. So I know where I'm kind of with. So without even looking at anyone else's draft board. I'm just marking guys off. I kind of know where the room is, where I sit within the room. And I'm just trying to basically um, kind of stay ahead, particularly on the, um, say ahead or even with the five hitting categories. The pitching categories tends to work out fine. Um, but uh, it's, um, but yeah, that I think once you start getting into like, oh, I want to get, 50 stolen right. bases. It's like, well, then I don't, I, I don't think it leads to, it, it can help. It's probably better than nothing, but I've, I feel like I've come up with a better kind of process. For well, it's, it. I, from the way you um, describe it, it sounds more applicable across drafts rather than singularly looking at. And across yeah, years. Right. 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 So as things concern, like, so for something like saves, like, that's kind of, um, it's almost as if for saves, yeah, I don't really worry about that Got one. That I know I'm going to probably come out of a draft projected for low on saves. And again, um, that's because you are... Or or even, or even, right. And I've basically gotten a lot of lottery tickets right. that, you know, let's just say I have it five stolen, five saves, five to 10 saves. Um, yeah, and, and some of them are on the bench. And I'm just hoping you know, one of them, you know, I, I could, I could get enough there. Um, but, um, yeah, I, but I, I do think for if thing of a 30 round draft and 15 team, your first 10 is, is really your, to me, like your strong, your base, um, as you get into rounds 11 to 20, um, you know, you're, you're building, you're building on it, but there, there's definitely a, um, I'm not, I'm okay taking a couple more chances there because there's guys that are going to, not pan out yep. there. And then 21 to 30 is all churn anyway. So um, I'm looking for certain types of players, um, you know, trying to find guys that'll be useful within the first couple of weeks. You know, maybe it's one week because of matchups. Maybe it's a half week for yep. a hitter. Um, but um, yeah, so w- when I think, oh man, I'm going to use a top 10 pick on a st- on a reliever, it's like, whoa, that's going to... that. Who am I sacrificing there? Am I going one less starting pitcher? Am I going one less hitter? Um, you know, I kind of, it's almost like, yeah, I, I kind of are going into drafts like that and like it's um but yeah, I got a, a question I'd pose to like <laughs> whatever any of that stuff's asked is like, how is that making for better, more efficient yep. decisions? And if you have kind of trouble figuring that out, it's like right. If you're doing well, calculus maybe during the draft, you're going to be in trouble because it's going to get a little bit messy. Well, I mean, right? I mean, well, I've heard things like I'll hear tips from like the best players, and they just don't work for right. me. Um, you know, like I really don't want a lot of work. Um, yeah, you know, I, I like to. I'm, I'm the type that likes to build build stuff one time, yep. like as an investment and keep using it versus the kind of expense of things like, 
you know, but I've heard a tip and yeah, I don't, I don't want to kind of critique tips, but uh, it's what works for you. But I, I think, well, I think um, yeah, I, Rudy, what I think you pointed out here and what I hope people are hearing is one Razball or your own approach of teaching and, and the way you, your site yeah. approaches things. But uh, I, if I may, your overall tip is find what works for you, find the analysis that works for you and try, try them on, try on the clothing, you know, don't just buy something off the rack per se. Um, start to see what's out there, see what a variety is. Well, I, the polarizing name I was going to bring up before, and I want to get your take on it. I know we're, we're running long. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi, my nice Jersey accent coming through yes. there on his name. Um, I have not drafted him or, or bid on him this year, not because I have said I'm not going to, just hasn't worked out where my roster construction or, or the way I'm drafting has brought him to my team. Uh, do you have a specific take on Mondesi, his quote-unquote injury proneness, uh, and what you might get from him in 2022? How are you dealing with him and the stolen base conundrum that he brings? Yeah, it, it's um, he's not a player I have. Um, I, I mean, I'd say I'm not opposed to anyone at the right, right. price. Um I'd say a challenge with Mondesi is that you told me I'm starting a draft with Mondesi. Let's say it's an auction draft. I bid a dollar and everyone's just like, take them. Well, I'm, all of a sudden I'm playing with a different, I'm playing a different draft than everyone else because I don't really care that much about speed. So all the guys that are going up for a little bit more because they give 10, 15 stolen bases, I don't care anymore. I, you know, I, I might end up with Jordan Alvarez in that league because it's like, yeah, yeah, you worry about the outfielders with speed. You take that out, I got Mondesi. I don't need to worry about that. Um, but that's not how a snake draft would work. You kind of have, that's like, a, he's like the fourth round. So if you're basically going into the first three rounds and you don't have a lot of speed, it's an option. But you do that and then Mondesi's taken. Right. What's your plan B? So I find it's a fragile build. Um, yeah, to go back to that term, but using it correctly. <laughs> um, and then... Um, so my biggest concern on Mondesi is two, twofold, playing time right. security and batting order. I think um, in the past, he was their shortstop. But now you've got Nicky Lopez is a better yep. fielding shortstop, and he, he showed he's at least potentially decent as a player. You got Bobby Witt, who's going to take, um, you know, so he's going to be playing somewhere, second or third. Um, I think it's been third. Um, I'm seeing it that Mondesi's, you know, he, he's not a must start for the Royals. And now their lineup is deep enough in the top of the lineup um, that I don't think he gets out of the bottom four. And now you're having, you know, it's not great for runs RBIs. It's not great for counting stats. So I've got that all factored into the projection. I just see him as like, yeah, not a great value. Um, but it's, you know, like, Again, like, but the only way it works is if you're basically banking on him being healthy and then going, um, not paying premiums again well, and for stolen bases. So there was a draft I was in where the guy took Buxton in the fifth round. I'm not going to say who. And I'm like, that defeats the whole purpose of having Monacy. It's like, it's kind of, it's the same feeling I have when I see a rich celebrity do. An ad, an advertisement. That's like it's like the whole point of being rich is to have fu money and say so. People tell you to do stuff. You're like ah right. fu, like to then do the to do the thing. Still, it's like well, what was the point then? That's the that's the number one thing. Um, so yeah, drop Monacy. It's like oh fu stolen bases, and then to go Buxton. It's like right. What we didn't learn. Well, it's, it's a, a great point overall. Of people think of uh, you know you hear in the past of drowning the position right where you you take a third yeah. baseman and a, a corner infielder and utility in the first five rounds and uh, you, you drown third base. You know you got Arenado, Donaldson, and I'm talking about like yeah. seven years ago, but fine. Um, yeah. Whoever it may be, and right. you're doing. Mike Schmidt, <laughs> home run <laughs> Baker. Right. You know, so maybe some Greg Nettles <laughs> is on your roster, but yeah, um, but. You're overdoing it at that point. You're not playing to the right. averages that you've talked about, playing to the foundation you're trying to build. And that makes a ton of sense. And I don't know there is a 
injury discount on Mondesi right now, to your point, too, where people are drafting him. There's not huge Ooh. upside if you get 150 games out of him. Um, maybe, but... Because I don't think he's going to hit leadoff. That's that's the thing, yeah. Uh, So I don't think, you know, like, yeah, I mean, his 90th percentile outcome is still, I mean, is probably a top 10 player. I just, yeah, like 90th percentile. um, Yeah, it's just his floor is so low. Uh, There's there's potentially other guys that I'd rather, if I'm going to take my shot. I also have to admit my biases. I drafted... uh, uh, Nicky Lopez a lot late this year, so I'm I'm kind of on on Camp Lopez uh, uh, getting some playing time and giving me some late stolen bases and, and batting average. Uh, there, I've done a lot of Nicky Lopez, Nick Madrigal uh, late to try to build out some average and a tiny bit of speed, but yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's well, fine. So, uh, you're not gonna want you're gonna have that yeah. <laughs> at the end of the year. Be like, man, that that Nicky Lopez, that the Nick. <laughs> The middle infield Nick plays. I added Horner as a reserve, <laughs> and I'm feeling great about it. Like, no, no, don't do that, people. Don't do that. It's it's, it's all in best ball. No. It's all in best ball. It's all fine. Um, and yeah. that's my favorite is uh, playing best ball just so I can be like, oh, it was a best ball draft. It, it was it was fine. I was you know playing percentages. It was it was just it was the thirtieth thirty eighth round. It was fine. Um, closing out here. Is there a position you feel is especially top-heavy? A position that you feel you need to get a player in the first, I I don't want to put a real, but five to seven rounds, third base short, or any of them where you feel it's a really steep drop-off from top players to whatever you may get next? No, I mean, I, I would say I target skills and categories more than position. Um, I do think that's so to me, the story of 2022 and at least is like, is how rough it is to build a team. Um, if you don't have speed in yep. the first seven rounds, say, um, you know, batting average is always going to be top heavy. Um, you know, I think, I think the, uh, and probably, but people don't usually think about it like runs, so the the power in RBIs you could get later, um, maybe not as much RBIs, but you could. You, there's definitely ways you can build that there. Runs are, t- t- but yeah, runs and average are, are correlated in that way and stolen bases. So um, that's how I'm kind of approaching it. Because and you know, you know, I would say it's really tough for me to come out of a draft. Um, going super cheap on middle infielders and outfield just because the skills, how it's distributed now. So if you're saying, oh, I really care about speed. Well, aside from Mondesi and like feeling a little desperate on Cabrian Hayes, third base isn't getting it for you. First base isn't. So um, those might be positions I'm a little bit more likely to to fade um, because I'm putting the priority on coming out of the first seven to 10 rounds and feeling um, non desperate uh, in stolen bases and ideally average cushion. So I could then kind of cash that in um, to kind of beef up things like maybe homers and RBIs. I dig it. And I think you, again, it's sort of the next level thinking around draft strategy of, of where you're targeting and where things might play out. Remember when Goldschmidt uh, stole 30 plus bases? That was a fun year. That was a fun, fun year. Yeah. He, yeah. He, I mean, no, I mean, I remember, yeah, he was like, he was kind of top three yep. guy. Uh, that was during, yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was with Trout and I don't know who else was kind of up For 2016? There. Yeah. Trout, uh, well, I mean, was that Trout, Goldschmidt, and Harper? And it could have been that fit, but, um, but yeah, no. Yeah. For some reason, I've never really had Goldschmidt on my teams. I never trusted his speed. Um, he definitely had a, a better year than I expected last year, but, but that, that gets into, he, that's just a lot of times with first baseman is about roster construction. So there's, you know, so my roster construction is generally not going to have, uh, a Goldschmidt or even like a Jose Abreu, um, just building kind of a different way. Um, it, it's, it's going to take like a first baseman that's going to have, you know, probably a, a little bit better uh, projections, but 
yeah, you know, it's definitely hurt. Yeah, it's probably not older. So, <laughs> but did, didn't uh, didn't work out. Uh, maybe that didn't work out well last year. I don't know. Um, you know, because obviously they did pretty good. Um, but we yeah. come to the end of our time, and I've been asking everyone uh, their favorite food and or snack for draft. Uh, do you have a go to? <laughs> Food item, snack item, beverage uh, that is part of your approach to draft day or, or draft night, as it were? Oh, wow. Um, no. I mean, I mean, this is going to be the first time I draft in Vegas. Um, so I don't know what's going to be in my st- stomach on Saturday at 10 a.m. Um, you know, hopefully nothing too toxic. Um yeah, I mean, like I just say, in general with food, um, I do love, do love it. Pizza, tacos. Right. I don't know. I don't know you're, what. Uh, if if you're at yeah, a draft, with Vegas, you'll find something to eat. You're not picky enough that you're going to worry about having a specific item. Uh, I I will say that basically, um, I, I'm very good at not um, combine. Like when I'm drafting, food and beverage are not high Got on it. my. Right. It's like the only time, uh, that, you know, cause otherwise I'm like Costanza. <laughs> it doesn't, I'll combine it. It's like, yeah, I, it's so rare. I get to be like it. Like I'll be at a bar. It's like, okay, there has to be sports yep. on. I want something unhealthy. I want beer in my hands and I want, I'll be on my phone. You know, like I need everything in there. Um, all right. Yeah. Where are people finding but, your work, Rudy? I know we've gone over it a few different times, but Twitter, website. Yeah, twi- twi- Twitter is at Rudy Gamble. Uh, Rasball's the site. And, you know, don't dig around too much for my article because there's not many. Right. The tools. If any. Uh, there, is, there is any, so there's just not many. Uh, but, yeah, just go straight to tools. Um, and there's a, we have a, you know, once the season starts, there'll be a two-day preview. You know, you can get it for free. Um, but... Yeah, you could also just look around Twitter and stuff at, for some of the testimonials. I don't try to. Uh, you don't curate. Put them all up on the uh, site. No, I don't. I mean, they're, to they're anyone some, listening, um, they're all on the wall behind them. You can't see them because it's all audio. But he printed them all out. Yeah, they're all, they're all posted behind. There you them. go. Yeah. No, I hate. I hate. Yeah. I mean, I hate. Yeah, I, I love getting the testimonials, but I don't like tweeting them out. I find it's a little gosh. No. Gosh. Um, Who's gonna pat your pat but, you on your back if you're not gonna do it yourself? No. Well, fair enough. Rudy, a pleasure as always. Glad uh, technology was on our side for this one. Uh, We will get this out the door to anyone listening. Don't forget, uh, you can subscribe on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Feel free to reach out with an analyst you'd like to hear from on the Strategy Podcast. Uh, Derek Curdy will be up next talking about projections, uh, his work throughout the years in fantasy baseball, analyst leagues, and more, and plenty more still to come right here on The Dish, a fantasy baseball strategy podcast. (laughs) 